The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw corn and soybeans trade their way slightly higher on the day Wednesday as we try to continue that rally in corn futures from the start of the week. While we did end up taking some profit across the wheat markets and the cattle trade as well. Thanks for joining us here on Market Talk today as we broadcast live from Commodity Classic 2024 here in Houston, Texas. Kicking things off today, the trade show opening up uh, on Wednesday afternoon and really excited for a, a great couple of days here in Houston, Texas. Coming up on our program today, we are going to talk markets with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. He's going to join us from his office back home in Kansas and give us his thoughts and a rundown of what we're seeing in the market trade. Again, doing our best to maybe bounce off of some of these recent lows that we put in these markets on Friday. We did have some decent key reversals to start the week, but now kind of fading this rally a little bit, it feels like. So how much uh, how much life do we have left in this grain rally? How you know What kind of legs does this rally have? I'm sure we're going to talk about that more with Mike Zuzalo coming up here uh, after the uh, bottom of the hour in segment three and four today. Before that, we are going to be joined by the new chairman of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Lance Rezac is going to uh, sit down with us for a conversation. We're going to talk about new export markets they are working on for soy and much more. So looking forward to that conversation coming up here in segment two on today's program. Also, uh, Commodity Classic this week, if you are going to be in Houston potentially Thursday and Friday afternoon, we're going to be broadcasting live with the National Corn Growers Association on the trade show floor. 7405 is their booth number. It's on the third floor the trade show there's there's two levels to the trade show this year looking forward to being there from two to three central time thursday and friday with the national corn growers association and again this trade show just getting bigger and bigger. It feels like over 10,000 people registered to be here. Some call it the Super Bowl of Agriculture. We're looking forward to a great couple of days here in Houston, Texas. All right, let's get some thoughts on the markets to kick off the program. I talked around midday Wednesday with Mike Castle from Stonex filling in for Arlen Suderman. And we talked to Mike about some of this rally in the grains slightly fading as we go through Wednesday's session. But also, we get some great thoughts about the fertilizer market with all this warm weather that we've had the last couple of days. That's kind of stirring up this fertilizer market a little bit, seeing some people applying anhydrous and things like that already. Calendar's not even into March yet. And so um, Mike shared some good thoughts with me in terms of some of the fertilizer market movement that he is watching right now. So let's listen to that midday commentary. Thoughts with Mike Castle from Stonex starting with the grain trade on Wednesday. Yeah, it's definitely feeling that way. Obviously, uh, 2024 has not been too kind to the grain market so far, so we'll take whatever grain we can get. Um, but like you said, they're corn and beans holding on to some kind of strength here. We complex falling off pretty hard. Kind of feels like fundamentals taken back over on that side. Uh, you know, we are seeing kind of some private estimate updates here. We did see another private estimate drop 
in Brazil. Uh, we'll get the official update from USDA next Friday. But overall, the fundamental picture is just staying bearish here, even with that cut that we did see this morning. And, you know, a lot of the private estimates that have been smaller than USDA, it's still Brazil's second biggest soybean and corn crop of all time. So obviously that's, you know, while it may sound bullish on its surface, if you really dig into the fundamentals, it's still looking pretty heavy, especially with Argentina rebounding, uh, you know, even at the low end of estimates here, we're looking at a record combined corn and soybean production for Brazil and Argentina this year after, you know, an already big crop from Brazil last year. Uh, and even on the wheat side, obviously, a lot of private estimates now kind of creeping up to record Russian wheat production. So wheat markets kind of been able to stay pretty satisfied on the front end with just how big Russia's supply has been here in the last couple of years. Um, so overall, kind of tough to get too excited on the grain side here this morning, but, you know, started the week deeply into oversold territory, technically speaking. So kind of starting to see some discount buyers stepping in, some fun stepping in, taking profit. So like I said, kind of in the beginning there, we'll take any green we can get at this point. Well, I know, too, with this wild weather that we've had, warm, warm temperatures here before this cold front's moved through, I know that's uh, got this fertilizer market uh, kind of jumping around a little bit as we've been seeing some pretty early application going on across the Midwest here, Mike. Oh, yeah. It's uh, definitely felt like spring. Not so much here today. We got a swing, but you know, pretty much the entire month of February has felt like, you know, maybe April. Um, and we've kind of seen that reflected in the fertilizer market. I know just visiting my folks where they farm back in central Missouri last weekend, already ammonia tanks out in the field, a lot ahead of schedule. That's already kind of a tough one on the ammonia side of things. By our records, we saw our third largest fall ammonia run since 2000 this year. So things were already kind of tight. And now, you know, it was going to be a bit of a task to get things back where they need to be before spring season hit. And now with it kind of coming sooner than expected, things are starting to kind of run higher here as we scramble to get supplies in place, um, you know, kind of tight across the board. The biggest one here, um, you know, in my mind is the phosphate market. We did get earnings reports last week from our big phosphate producers and, you know, kind of expected Q4 phosphate production to rebound here. Obviously, with our countervailing duties case in place, it's still tight on the import side. Uh, so we kind of need that domestic production to step up so we can have that supply for this spring. And unfortunately, it hasn't been the case. We actually saw Q4 fall from Q3. So that means, you know, we're not able to import that well. Or, you know, imports towards the end of last year kind of got small in Nova D. So now domestic production isn't there. So now, you know, we've seen the NOLA phosphate market rally to a major premium to the rest of the world as we try to draw in those imports. But now, because the spring season's coming so early, obviously we don't have the time to get it into place like we would like to see. Uh, so honestly, the fertilizer market could use a couple good uh, rains across the Midwest to kind of slow this crazy pace as we kind of you know compete over the limited in-place supplies for now. All right, once again, that was midday commentary that we had with Mike Castle from Stone X filling in for Arlen Suderman on the day Wednesday. Some good thoughts there from Mike. And, yeah, this warm weather that we've had, uh, hard to believe that some folks have been out putting fertilizer on already in certain applications. I mean, saw 70s and even some 80s to start off the week, and then a big cold front moving through. I know producing snow in the upper Midwest, northern plains, severe weather out there as well, reports of tornadoes in the Chicago area, just a wild weather we're having. And 
it looks like the temperature swing is going to go back to the upside here as we head towards the weekend before another system starts to work through, continuing to see various waves of weather here this week. Also looking at South American weather, the uh, March forecast is looking maybe a little drier than normal for key areas of Brazil's safrina corn crop. That is something that we're going to watch to see if it triggers any additional short covering potentially in these markets. South American weather has been relatively benign as of late. Does that continue or not? We'll have to see. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk as we broadcast live once again from Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. We're going to sit down and have a conversation with the newly elected chair of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Lance Rezac. I know he just spent some time in Brazil, so he's got some firsthand looks at how things have been going in Brazil and how their soybean industry is working. We're going to talk about that, relationships with the U.S. and China in terms of soybean exports and new markets, all that more. Coming up next, we'll be back with Market Talk from Commodity Classic on the way right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program, pleased to have with us the newly elected chairman of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, USEC, Lance Rezac, is with us. Lance, congratulations on being elected chair. It's great to see you here at Commodity Classic. Well, thank you. It's really, really quite an honor to get to be chairman of the U.S. Soy Export Council. And so uh, this might be the kind of the pinnacle of my career in soy. I've been involved in it for a lot of years, but this this will definitely be the most interesting year. Well, and thinking about that, the most interesting year, I know we got a lot of things in front of us, plenty for you and me to talk about right now. And I, I think in terms of the work that USEC does and, and just looking at soybean exports around the world, I've mentioned this before a few times uh, when, when looking at the export picture for soybeans and really ag trade. The deck chairs have kind of shuffled around a little bit here in recent years, haven't they? Between China and South America and the U.S., there's, there's kind of some of that ongoing ebb and flow, so to speak, right now. There, there's a lot of changes going on, actually. Um, China is the biggest soybean importer by far. They, they import about 60% of all the soy that's traded in the world. So almost two-thirds of the soy that gets traded goes to China. So that leaves the rest of the world with uh, well, a little over a third, forty percent, and so um, so they're 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 just they're not you can't replace China, you know. Um, but luckily, China needs us and Brazil to provide them enough soy for it, because you know how the political tensions have been mm -hmm. with China, and so and I don't blame them. They don't want to be relying on us if we're not going to be a reliable supplier, you know. And so they want to be as food secure as they can. So they're looking to diversify all their markets and all their buying along the way too. But we uh, we want to we want to we 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 try hard to work with China. We're still in China. We have 16, 17 people working in China helping to uh, uh, promote our U.S. soy uh, along the way, mm -hmm. and uh, even some things which you wouldn't think maybe sustainable uh, labeling. Uh, even China is some of that is uh, they're going with some of the sustainable U.S. soy labeling and putting okay. it on their packaging because ours is more sustainable. Like sure. I said, our our big competition is Brazil. We were there a little over a month ago and uh, Brazil, I tell everybody Brazil will feed the world. They have unlimited resources nearly. They're farming hmm, maybe two thirds of the ground they can farm. They still have over 100 million 
acres wow. of just planted pasture that's already been kind of cleared. It's not even really heavily forested trees mm-hmm. that all they got to do is go across the road, knock down a couple of trees and plant it. It didn't cost them much. And so, and then they get two crops a year, at least some places they can get three and they get 70 inches of rain a year. And so on their grounds, about 5,000 bucks an acre nearest we can tell. Mm-hmm. So they got some real production advantages, but they got some disadvantages too. They're, they're trying to grow beans in a tropical climate. Sure. Uh, you know, Brazil is right part of brazil is above the equator you know so mm-hmm. so they don't get that natural drying effect that we have here in the u.s they have to defoliate or desiccate their beans all of them and then they have to take them home and dry them they dry them with wood eucalyptus trees mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing a lot of different things down there but to to your point some of the challenges they have i think we've seen this to some degree that the quality of u.s beans versus brazilian beans u.s beans still are outpacing Brazil in terms of quality, aren't they, Lance? Oh, yeah. We we saw the beans coming out of the field directly. They had to take them home and clean them and dry them. And we saw them at the terminals getting ready to be loaded on a, on a barge or on a on a boat. And those beans, I mean, they brought us out samples of them. They did not look that good. We, mm-hmm. we need to get some numbers behind how they actually feed the animals and stuff like that. But uh, if we showed up with beans like that here in the U.S., they'd tell us not to come back. Sure. You know, and so... And, but the other countries know that, and I think they, well, one interesting fact, they won't, China won't buy Brazil beans for their reserves because they won't store. Mm-hmm. They, buy, they either buy U.S. or Argentina beans uh, for their storage because you just couldn't store it. And I, after seeing them, I, I understand why. Well, and, and thinking about the, the changing dynamic between China, the U.S., and Brazil, I know a lot of farmers, we, we always talk China, Brazil, China, Brazil, China, Brazil. But in terms of the work the you know, USEC is doing, what are some other export markets? Where are some areas that the U.S. is maybe starting to to look at for more soybean exports, or maybe it's meal or some of these other you know soy byproducts that we have here in the U.S. So talk about that a little bit, Lance. Well, we're actually looking all around the world. We just had our meeting yesterday, and we had we have seven regions in the world. And we had all our regional directors here from each of those regions uh, talking about what's going on. So uh, I think Mexico is like maybe moved up to our number two soy mm-hmm. importer from us. We do a lot of work with the Americas. We obviously have the uh, nat- natural advantage of just like putting on a train and getting down in- into into Latin America. And so we have a we have a good advantage there. Uh, and they like our meal. They 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 bought Brazilian beans too. They they're not too excited about them in some cases. Um, uh, Southeast Asia. That's a growing, growing population. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we have uh, soy excellence centers. We have six of them around the world, and these are aimed at teaching uh, not the administrative level people in businesses, but the next layer of people down, the ones that actually make decisions, use the soy. And we've been trying to teach them just basic things, you know, feed formulation and, and, and growing poultry and growing fish and uh, working with them in these other countries so they can get the hang of efficiently using U.S. soy. They're not going to pay a premium and use it wrong. You know, we want to make sure using it wrong. They're growing their animals right. Uh, the developing countries, we're in a couple countries which really don't buy any soy right now. India, but that's the largest largest country in the world. But mm-hmm. they they had a little window where they bought a little bit of soybean meal here a few years, a year or so ago. And we're hoping that's kind of just the precursor to what's to come because we're working with their poultry industry in India. Because you can't, the U.S. can't go and say you got to buy more soy. Sure, you know, we got to come from the inside, and so they're, we're in there working with them. Uh, we got the right to protein, trying to get. To, I think they eat like maybe one chicken a year total, 
is all the protein they, you know, <laughs> you know, I think we can do that on Super Bowl weekend here on it. Probably. That's very, very true. Yeah. What was it? A little over a million pounds of chicken yeah, wings? I know. That's kind of yeah. amazing. So anyway, they, 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 they eat such a small amount of protein in India already. And if yeah. we can get into there and get the, get that growing and they, and they're a growing economy, they're going to have the money to buy that. And the first thing people want to do is eat more, more animal protein once they get that chance. And then another country is Nigeria we're working in. Uh, you don't think of Nigeria usually, but I think it's predicted to be the third largest country here in 15 or 20 years. It's a real growing country with a lot of people, and, and they think it's got enough of a growing economy that we can probably sell some soy there. So we're working in those countries too. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully those won't do me a lot of good, but hopefully my children will have some good markets. We were in China for 17 years before we sold them one soybean. We've been there 40, and we had, we had to teach them how to raise hogs because they were just you know sure. feeding them garbage backyard hogs, and we had to teach them American modern techniques and mm-hmm. so so uh so we're hoping i don't know if anybody will quite be at china but but uh, we're hoping to have some of these other countries come along and and and, and it's, it's not just to uh, uh, you know help u.s soybean farmers i mean we're trying to help those people in that world yeah. get a good protein source of uh in of uh energy for their for their diet you sure. know yeah. and so so uh it's it makes you feel good if you can go somewhere and they had some testimonials at a meeting I was at earlier today. They, they learned how to raise their chickens better, and they went from 50 to 500 chickens because wow. they knew how to do it, you know. And, and so it, it, it's, it's good when you hear those stories about around the world that you're helping people really figure out how to do things and, and get the hang of it. Very true, very true. Well, as we kind of wrap up our conversation here as well, I think in terms of the work that you guys are doing with USEC and as, now as you taking over chairman, it it's all really comes back to for the U.S. soybean farmer that – economic sustainability of soybeans finding those new uses those different export markets things like that is is part of what it comes down to that and of course just feeding the world right lance feeding the world yeah like say right now we export 60 percent of our soybeans in the out of the u.s so uh and i'm on the united soybean board also mm-hmm. and that's how i got on the u.s soy export council but you know there we're working on new uses all the time for soy and but but exports are such a big deal that we just have to focus on those. Definitely, definitely. What, Real quick, what are some of the main goals for you taking over as chairman uh, of USEC here this year? Well, A, I, I want to keep diversifying our markets. Uh, you know, okay. I, want, I want to make sure we do that. And then I want to, I want to make sure all the USEC staff has the right amount of uh, whatever they need to help promote our U.S. soy and I would really like to get the message back to U.S. farmers a little bit about what USEC does. I am amazed by it every time I turn around, whether we're building a market here. One guy, he's working with the Pakistan poultry producers to try to get GMO stuff done. I was in Kenya a year ago, November, and we'd been over there working with the East Africa Grains Council trying to get GMO stuff approved into Kenya. They're starving mm-hmm. to death over there, and they're worried about GMOs. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, and USEC's over there helping with all that. And so it's just... Everywhere in the world, we have stuff going on trying to help promote U.S. soy and and make people's lives better. So it's really rewarding to get to see that. Well, we appreciate a few minutes of your time here at Commodity Classic, and we'll have to have a conversation again soon with that, the chairman of the U.S. Soy Export Council, Lance Rezac. Lance, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the time. Thank you, and thanks for, for all you do for Ag, too.
And once again, that is the chairman of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Lance Rezac, joining us here at Commodity Classic today. And coming up next, we're going to take a look at these markets, try to hang out to a little bit of a cord soybean rally. Wheat took a little bit of profit, it appeared, on the day Wednesday, and we took some profit in the cattle trade. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. He's going to join us right after this as we take a look at the markets here on Market Talk. Back with more from Commodity Classic right after this. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Let's get it. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. Well, the corn market found a higher number for the third day in a row. And wondering here, it was a slight gain, but can we continue this rally or are we going to run out of steam? Wheat, though, did take some profits uh, for the most part on the day. And the cattle trade took some profits as well on Wednesday. Joining us now to take a look at the markets, pleased to have Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics with us here on Market Talk as we spend time at Commodity Classic. Mike's back in his office in Kansas enjoying a, a nice wild temperature swing. <laughs> Mike, we uh, we talked about that Wednesday morning on AOA. Has, has the temperature gotten any better as we've gone through the day, Mike? Not much. I mean, we're up above 20 degrees right now, Jesse, but we essentially went from 75 degrees at noon yesterday to about a zero uh, wind chill by this morning and, and late last night. And so I, I don't think I can remember ever a, a, a move in extreme temperatures like we saw. And I, I really do think that the, the hard red wheat picked up on that as we closed out the session. And I think it made a distinct move away from the soft red wheat. And I say that because the way the market structure closed up ahead of the delivery. And as you and I talked about this, you brought it up on AOA Wednesday morning as well about the delivery coming in on March futures. But you notice that March hard red wheat on Wednesday's close uh, trading upwards of five ninety five broke through six dollars before the close. Um, but st settled back around 595. Then the May contract is sitting around 580. And then the July hard red is sitting around 570, 575. So you've got an inversion in all three of the contracts as we head into delivery. So I'm going to say that I think the hard red wheat picked up on this cold weather and that the delivery process is suggesting that the futures market's too cheap compared to the cash market out there. So that's something to really watch to answer that question you just asked, can the corn continue to go higher? Well, and I, I want to start and stay with the wheat here a little bit because I think that's a big catalyst. And I know our first chart we have on the video feed today, you, you mentioned this to me Wednesday morning as well. You're kind of watching EU wheat and, and some of the correlations there. And we got a chart looking at EU milling wheat futures versus uh, U.S. SRW futures. So, I mean, talk about some of these correlations you are watching right now. Can we have wheat continue to maybe be a leader for a rally here in the grains, Mike? What do you think? I think we need it, and, and I think we need it in the soft red eventually, Jesse. And I, and I want to say that this is not just a weather market about hard red wheat in these cold temperatures. You know, the soft red wheat belt starting Wednesday night and again on Thursday night are expected to get into the 23, 25 degree uh, temperature lows 
and and my understanding is there every bit or close to every bit is grown and breaking out of dormancy and and prematurely growing too fast for this time of year like the hard red is so places like Alney, illinois which would be south of route 50 or right on route 50 you know bottom third of illinois where most of the heart uh, most of the soft red wheat is looking at two nights of 25 or below temperature so i want to say that that soft red wheat can come in and pick up the slack as long as the delivery process doesn't derail it and i think but i think it's necessary because this chart shows us the european wheat in uh the the black and and red bars the uh u.s soft red wheat in the purple bars they've come together they're they're the same price now with the European wheat futures on Wednesday sinking to their lowest level since July of 2020. So talk about a leader to the downside, and that's because of not just the Black Sea prices, but wrapped up in that is the currency market, the Russian ruble, and, and some of these other currencies that are keeping the European and U.S. wheat trimmed in terms of demand. And I think this is where the inflation data that came out Wednesday morning showing bigger than expected inflation, the one the Fed looks at, uh, the most. And, and I think that already started to get the Fed governors, some of them talking about how they haven't done enough on inflation and killing that inflation beast yet. So that's why I want that wheat to really shine as we close out this week in SRW. And, and then I think we've got something to go with. Well, and in terms of uh, looking for a wheat-led rally, this corn market uh, did its best to kind of keep the uptrend three days in a row on Wednesday. Uh, what are you seeing right now on a, on a continuation chart for, for corn here for the week? And I mean, just your thoughts overall with this corn market rally that we've kind of started since we set those lows on Friday. Yeah, kind of kind of dovetailing what we just talked about. That's SRW corn spread still dancing around a buck sixty premium to the SRW. That's a really nice number. And if we go any higher than that, then we should be able to attract the higher soft red wheat price with a higher corn price because that's a pretty wide spread. So having said that, if we can get wheat on board, I think we can go above that first green resistance line, which would be right around that 420, 421 and a half level. Um, get above four and a quarter in, in March wheat. And I'm sticking with March because we're going into delivery and the, and the March futures to me equals the cash in Chicago, essentially, or the cash along the Illinois River south of Chicago. So I want a 425 close in March wheat, uh, March corn. Then I think we can get back to that second green line, which is going to be right around that 460, 465 level. That gets you real close to my current undervalue level of 472 and a half. That line right there, that number right there, that's the number I say to the world um, based upon supply demand fundamentals and the macro fundamentals. We shouldn't have gone any lower than 472 and a half. That's my take on the market. And I think that's especially pertinent, pertinent as we get into the next round of weather for South America. So a lot hinges on this price action right here. And we're trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I'm glad you brought up weather in South America, Mike, because I'm hearing a little bit of chatter uh, that some of these longer range models in March are trending a little drier for Brazil. So let's focus on some of that. I know you have some analysis here to take a look at as well in terms of the South American weather outlook. Are you hearing some of the same? Are we maybe potentially looking at a weather story for Safrina corn? Yeah, we've had a, a two big crop reductions in percentage terms from two significant private firms in soybeans. 
this week. We have not heard much out of the corn. And that, that got me looking at the corn. And especially, as you say, the second crop, safrina crop corn, which is about 80% of the production of the total crop. Well, that production of safrina corn is very concentrated in Mato Grosso, Mato Grosso de Sul, and, and I think Paraná is another uh, province and maybe a fourth smaller province that that those areas make up a huge percentage of the safrina corn crop. And as you drill down in this chart, you're looking at the major provinces of corn in Brazil and the top left map of Brazil where they're highlighted in red by province. And then below that is Mato Grosso. And it, that's the concentrated area where you're talking about right in the center, center south and southeast area of Mato Grosso is a huge amount of the production of second crop corn and corn overall, Mato Grosso being over a third of total corn production for the whole country. So if you follow that Mato Grosso map to the right and look at the charts, the cumulative precip for Mato Grosso right now for 23-24 crop is almost a whole standard deviation below the normal. And last year, was just a little bit below normal, but we are really starting to dry out now as that second crop corn gets planted and seasonally it gets very hot, very fast in that part of the country. So I'm on track, Jesse, for lowering my overall production number in the Brazilian corn crop substantially, maybe five, maybe 7% in the next 10 days if this weather doesn't turn around because it is a critical phase right now. And I think the market kind of walked past the graveyard, assuming that things improving in Argentina meant we didn't have to worry anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or whistle across the, <laughs> or past the graveyard potentially. Another map here as well, uh, looking at this precip forecast for Brazil. And I think you can kind of just add this on to what you were talking about there, Mike. I mean, there's, it's looking like there's maybe a story here. Yeah, I think there could be. I think I would equate this pretty similarly to last year in the United States of a 2012 type scenario developing going into the later half of June and into the July 4th holiday and how we just got completely saved by having a terrible crop. Um, This dry channel that I've been keeping track of for the last two months, it's been fading in and out, but it's really never gone away in terms of what color of brown it's been. Now it's starting to get into the deeper browns. You're talking about 50, 75% less than normal precipitation over the next eight to 14 days if the CPC forecast is correct. Soybeans, I I know we get a lot of soybeans harvested, but you mentioned some of those private forecasts have dropped some of their soybean numbers in South America. Do you think we could see maybe a, a little more of a soybean type of rally here in these grains if this weather story continues to trend the way it's trending, Mike? I do, Jesse. I've talked to clients about this in depth pretty much for the last four or five months. I don't want to fight a bean rally if it's led by corn and wheat. That's really the bottom line. But beans are not the place to be long, in my opinion, right now in relation to the market premium that we've had in soybeans to date. We have taken some of that premium out, unfortunately, during the base crop insurance price factoring uh, month of February. We've drained some of the November premium away from the Dees corn. Um, But as a fundamental uh, supply demand fundamentals with the world wheat stocks to use levels still at 2014 levels in terms of that's the, the tightest we've been right now is right now for the last 10 years. In U.S. wheat ending stocks, the second lowest since 2014. If this weather keeps up here in this country, I still think wheat is the main market 
that a weather rally should happen. But if wheat and corn can pull it together here and Humpty Dumpty gets back on the wall, I would expect the soybeans to follow. And, and I, I love being in puts right now when it comes to the soybeans, because I'll just roll up the punts if we get another 40, 60 cent rally. And then I'll feel like, OK, now I've got my 23 bushels covered. Let's start on 24. So that's the logic I have in this market right now, because the trade's been very well aware of this week included of lower soybean production numbers. They've priced that in. We haven't even started in corn, if you ask me. Well, once again, we're having a conversation with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics here on Market Talk. We are going to continue. We're going to talk livestock on the way after the break. Back with more from Commodity Classic on the way right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are talking today with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics here on Market Talk. Mike, let's go over to livestock. Uh, cattle futures, we took a little profit, it looked like to me, in both facet feeders on the day Wednesday. Do you agree with that? I'll just kind of start there, but then also we got a couple good charts to look at, starting with the monthly feeder cattle cash index. So, I mean, your thoughts there just to start. Was it kind of a profit-taking technical type of day in cattle Wednesday? I think it was technical in that the funds, I think, are unwinding their long feeder short corn positions. Jesse, I think this is a very big part of the puzzle for why corn is going it alone in part for right now. And I think South American weather could be another element. We'll know that here, I think, more in a week or so. But don't get caught up in the idea that we have to make new highs in feeders um, if we don't have everything going in the right direction for us in terms of how the funds act nowadays. And I think this is where the feeder cattle got within about $3 of taking out their September highs in the March futures. We didn't get nearly as close when you look at this CME cash index with that September high back there around 254 and change. Um, this is a key element to the market maybe rolling over potentially and moving lower. And why I like this feeder chart, it's because this cash index is sitting at 246. Oklahoma City reported flat to $2 higher prices unless you went over 850 weight feeders. Then they jumped about five bucks higher on their update Wednesday. What I'm getting at is you've got March futures dancing around 250, and that's after Wednesday's break. We could see the feeder cash index in the cash market kind of pull back on the futures and the funds do that through the unwinding of the feeder corn ratio. And I think that's a real key element to watch here as I continue to, you know, kind of barnstorm the area and say, get your puts underneath you and the feeders and the fats. Uh, we're coming into March. March of 2015 was not a good time for the fat cattle or the feeders. Just have a floor underneath you and see what happens. Well, let's look at the uh, April feeder daily chart as well. Uh, just to kind of echo some of those things you're saying about getting some of those floors and puts in, I, I would agree with you. I, I know that some folks may be getting bulled up again here in these cattle markets, but to your point, managing that risk in this window is important because, you know, we could wake up next week and be much lower than where we're at right now, Mike. Well, and this chart really shows it. I mean, this is bona fide hedging 101. April feeder futures closed Wednesday at 255. We took out the minor trend line support and the red line. The orange trend line is the backbone of this chart. Then you've got a secondary backbone 
of the major moving average at around, as I call it, around 244. You've got roughly $10, $11 on the table if you take out that 255 support, maybe more. But I think that next trend line moving average support is your main support for this market at this stage of the game, Jesse. So let's say you buy a $2 put and you're all wrong and the market goes back up on you. I would think that if the market has the energy to turn and go higher after today's break, then you're probably going to go back towards that 273, 75 area high from September of 2023 in the April futures, that 100% Fibonacci line, that's the white dotted line. So if you're risking two bucks, two and a half bucks to potentially lose, quote unquote, but then gain on the cash side, 20 to $25 of premium in your cash sale as you get into April, I say that's a wonderful hedge in, in terms of a bona fide, take the smaller paper loss and capitalize on a really good gain on the cash side of the equation, as opposed to, to not doing anything and then sitting at 245 when you're getting ready to market your cash feeders. That's a great, great thought. And I, I heard a story too from uh, from someone here uh, Friday or over the weekend, someone was at a sale barn and they took a look at the quote screen. They saw corn below four, immediately turned around and called their corn guy. This was a cattle feedlot guy and, and got more corn booked for their feedlot. So I wonder too, if there's a lot of folks uh, in the feedlot side that are maybe booking some feed here uh, in this window, even with corn slightly rallying right now, Mike. And it's an excellent point. I think it makes sense when the Oklahoma City price is seeing a big jump at 850 weights or higher. That means you've got this low corn price and you can get those feeders into fats a lot quicker and take advantage of these prices right here, right now, both in terms of the corn price and what the fat cattle price is on the deferred. I'm, I'm guessing that feedlots are already marketed for spring fats at this point if they're buying eight weight feeders at $5 over right now. Hogs, too. Okay day there Wednesday. I mean, still watching some $100 summer hogs. Uh, been a been an interesting market to watch. Kind of claw its way back here ever so quietly, Mike. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the export sales, both in beef and pork on Thursday morning, because I'm really itching to hedge and sell into the hog market here with the idea that the, the big low in China, yes, it's been made, but can we do any more? And as you say, these summer months at 100 bucks. It seems to me that the consumption side of the equation, while it should be strong for the summertime and the pork in relation to the beef because of the retail prices, do we really have much more in it at this stage of the game? So I think at these price levels, Jesse, I'd classify as the hog sector is in a position where you need to feed the bull at this stage of the game, especially in light of the build in the cold storage numbers versus the prior month. I did not like seeing that in the pork side of the equation. Beef was down a percent pork actually added versus uh, the last month. Mike, good stuff as always. If folks want to reach out to you, take a look at your analysis and much more, how can they get a hold of you? Best ways to go to globalcomresearch.com and globalcom with two M's research.com. Toll free numbers on there. Take a look at our product services and see if there's not something there for you. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Great to catch up with you again this week. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse, and enjoy the heat. I'm going to enjoy the heat in Houston as much as I can, <laughs> that's for sure. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics, our guest today here on Market Talk. 
And that is going to wrap up our program here today, broadcasting live from Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. Some of the final numbers uh, in the grains. March corn was up 5, 413 at a quarter. Deese corn up 3 at a quarter, 463 at a quarter. March beans up 2 and 3 quarters, 1134. July up 4 at a quarter, 1155 at 3 quarters. May Chicago wheat down 9 and a half, 574 and 3 quarters. May KC wheat down 4 and 3 quarters, 581. May spring wheat down 6 at a quarter, 656. Feeder cattle march down 340, 249.60. February live cattle down 95, 184.65. And April hogs up 10 at 86 even. Coming up on tomorrow's program, we're going to be broadcasting live from the National Corn Growers Association booth on the trade show floor here at Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. Looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Market Talk.